We want to remind our listeners that this program is for informational and educational purposes only and not intended to substitute for professional veterinary medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The Animal Medical Center does not recommend or endorse any products or services advertised by SiriusXM. Welcome to Ask the Vet with Dr. Ann Hohenhaus. This is the place to talk about your pets and get advice with a top veterinarian from the Animal Medical Center in NYC. Hear from the leading authorities on animals and give us a call to ask your questions. Now, here's your host, Dr. Ann Hohenhaus. Well, hello, everyone. I'm so glad you can join me today on Ask the Vet here on Sirius XM Stars Channel 109. I'm your host, Dr. Ann Hohenhaus. I'm your host every month here on Ask the Vet. I'm a board-certified internal medicine specialist and cancer specialist at the Animal Medical Center in New York City, and it's the largest not-for-profit animal hospital in the world. And today I'm coming to you from the Animal Medical Center um, and we are recording this show today. Just in case you're new to the program, Ask the Vet is also available as a podcast developed in our partnership with SiriusXM. Our Ask the Vet podcast is carried on all major platforms and can also be found on the Animal Medical Center's website, which is www.amc.org, and simply put podcast in the search bar. At the Animal Medical Center, we keep families together by providing the absolute best care for the pets in the family. I thought it might be fun to share a few tidbits from AMC's interactive 2020 Year of Comprehensive Care report. For example, AMC's oldest patient is a 61-year-old orange-winged Amazon parrot. Our largest patient was a 191-pound St. Bernard named Otis, and Lorenzo, a big name for a 22-gram canary, was the smallest patient we saw. Max, Charlie, and Oliver were the most popular names for both male dogs and cats. Bella, Luna, and Lucy took the top spot for female dogs and cats. And I, this is one of my favorite little tidbits. The female name, Beyonce, crossed all species, and AMC has patients named Beyonce that are dogs, cats, guinea pigs, turtles, bearded dragons, and rabbits. AMC's emergency service saw 17,000 patients last year. The USDAN Institute for Animal Health Education presented 17 pet health events in 2020. And in 2020, AMC provided nearly $5 million in charitable care to pets in need. If you'd like to see more about our report, you can simply put in the AMC website search bar, Year of Comprehensive Care, and the last three years of reports will come up. Later in the show, I'm going to answer listener questions. And if you want your pet questions answered on next month's show, call us toll-free and leave a message on our voicemail to have your pet question answered on the September show. The phone number is 866-993-8267. And if you didn't have a pencil now, get one when we take a break because I'll give this number again later on. And now, our trending animal story. It's time for the Internet's most talked about animal. Motherly love runs across the species. Hannah Burton was outside on her desk recording tummy exercises with her infant son. 
And soon after Charlie, her five-week-old infant started fussing and crying. And apparently it wasn't just Hannah that heard the baby's cries because suddenly a mama deer bounds out of the woods and rushes towards the porch. You could see the look in the mama deer's face. She just wanted to help the crying baby. Hannah quickly picks up the baby and keeps a watch on the mama deer who walks closer and closer to the porch. And the recording captures Hannah saying, no, 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 this is my baby, and continues to speak calmly to the mama deer saying, this one's mine, not yours. The short, sweet video clip went viral and now has 27 million views. Just Google TikTok video of mama deer running to help a crying infant. So this is a really cute video, but it made me ask the question, what does a baby deer sound like? And why would this mama deer come running to a crying human infant? And certainly I have no idea what deers say because none of my books that have like the pig says oink and the cow says moo ever seem to have a deer in it. And the only deer I ever knew that made a sound was Bambi and he talks like a person. So I decided that I needed to Google um, what sound a baby deer makes. And to my surprise, the baby deer sound pretty much like a squawking infant that was recorded in the exercise video. So um, if you're out exercising uh, with your child and your baby starts screaming, be prepared because a deer could come bounding at you because the baby deer sound an awful lot like a baby human. I'm delighted to welcome today's guest, Annie Grossman, a certified professional dog trainer and owner and co-founder of New York City's School for Dogs here in Lower Manhattan. Annie's passionate about using dog training as a lens into better understanding the science of behavior as it applies to all species of animals, including us humans. She's written about animals for numerous publications, including the New York Times, the Boston Globe, Gizmodo, and Motherboard. Annie was also an associate producer on the Animal Planet show, Too Cute, and is the host of the School for Dogs podcast. Annie, I'm so glad that you can join me today here on Ask the Vet. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, it's actually school for the dogs, for what it's worth. <laughs> we, we squeezed in an extra article there. And... Why did you choose to call it the school school for the dogs? You know, that's an interesting question. I, I actually had a blog when I first uh, started becoming interested in dog training, and uh, it was simply called the dogs because it was sort of a reaction against all of the punny um, pet names that are out there. Uh, I decided to go as far from punny as possible. And so it was called the dogs. And then when we decided my, my, uh, my business partner and I decided to actually have a facility, we felt we needed a slightly more descriptive name than just the dogs. <laughs> so we, we uh, tacked on uh, school four. Um, so it's kind of a backwards way that we got to uh, this forward, forward business name. Well, that's interesting uh, way to, to look at it. So <laughs> I think that people are starting to get worried about going back to the office because more and more people are having to go back to the office. And I can tell that because there's more traffic on the streets in the morning um, here in New York City when I'm coming to the Animal Medical Center. 
So over the last, I don't know, almost 18 months now, most pet owners have spent close to 24 seven at home with their dog. How is, how is us going back to work? Well, I've been going to work all the time, but uh, <laughs> how is going back to work going to impact these dogs who are used to you being there 24 uh, seven? You know, it's such a good question. And I think that uh, for me as a dog trainer, it's kind of an exciting moment because it's a moment that is forcing people to think about dog training and how they can set their dogs up for success. You know, I think normally people only think about dog training very briefly, uh, maybe when they get a puppy and then maybe not again until there's some sort of behavioral problem that they need to address. But it seems to me that uh, with so many people having gotten jobs and now looking forward to kind of a major uh, change in um, the setup of their lives, uh, you know, in that people are, are looking at leaving the house more than they were leaving the house. Uh, it's a moment where people are thinking about how they can be the best possible pet parent. And, um, you know, it is an important uh, part of dog training to recognize that that dogs are, uh, that dog behavior is very much affected by their environment where they're spending time, uh, with whom they're spending time. Of course, our behavior is also affected by the environments that we're in. So certainly, um, whether uh, it means your dog is gonna be spending time somewhere else or spending time in your home without you, it certainly um, is gonna be something that will very likely change their behavior. Now, is that necessarily going to be a problem? I think in most cases, it probably won't be. Um, thanks to the fact that dogs are extremely resilient and adaptable, and um, and I think uh, you know that's part of the reason why we love them and we keep them as pets in our homes. But that doesn't mean that we can't take some steps to set them up for success. Um, there are certainly dogs who really will probably suffer from being left alone if they aren't adequately uh, prepared to be left alone. And that is certainly something that um, my colleagues and I are starting to have to deal with. But more than that, we're trying to help people, um, like I said, set their dogs up for success. So some people know now that they have to go back to work, say September 1 or October or whenever, and other people don't get very much notice to go back to work. You know, they might get just, you need to be there next week. So is there a difference in how you should prepare your dog if you get a short notice versus you have a month's notice or what you would tell people to do is the same in both cases? Um, that's a really good question. You know, I think that there's training that we can do to help change the way a dog is going to feel about being alone. But then there's also management practices that we can put in place in order to help a dog not have to be alone so much. If you are going to have to go back to work very, very soon, I would suggest starting uh, doing some training, but really focusing on how to make sure you're not going to have to be leaving your dog 
for longer than your dog could handle. Separation anxiety uh, in its truest form is a panic attack that a dog is having. And nobody wants their dog to be really experiencing a true panic attack. Now, I think probably a lot of dogs um, aren't gonna go into severe panic attacks. Most dogs, like I said, are pretty resilient, but you wanna you want to um, prepare for for the worst because you might as well um, you might as well give your dog the best chance at uh, being okay with your new schedule and your your new lifestyle. Um, and you don't want to have to you know leave your job because <laughs> you can't go to the office anymore because your dog can't be alone. So I think a two-tiered approach is best, but if you really have very little time, like I said, I think figuring out ways to keep your dog from being alone is the way to go or keep your dog from being alone for longer than they can handle. How long can your dog handle? Oh, can you still hear me? Yes. Okay. How long can your dog handle? Well, you know, we, we're lucky to live in a time where um, spying on your dog is not very hard. <laughs> Most people have some kind of webcam that they can uh, put on their dog um, or some sort of device that they could that you can buy for uh, not too much money. That could be a really good way to kind of get a baseline to figure out, you know what, um, Stella is fine for five minutes, but 10 minutes, it seems like she really starts to get stressed out. Signs of stress might be pacing, uh, excessive panting, barking, chewing uh, more than what's normal. Uh, you know, so maybe we should try and make sure Bella isn't alone or Stella, I think I said, <laughs> Bella, AKA Stella isn't alone um, for more than eight minutes because she seems like she can handle eight minutes. And then you kind of have a, a starting point where you can work on shaping longer departures little by little. Um, for another dog, that period of time might be an hour. For another dog, it might be two hours. And um, using webcams or the like can be a way to figure out a good starting point. Um, beyond that, uh, you're going to then want to make sure your dog isn't alone for longer than they can that they can handle without getting into that panic state. And that's where I think people uh, can start to get creative. And, and as a dog trainer, I enjoy actually helping people figure out sort of different ways that they can go about that. Sure. Um, that might be having a dog walker come, but for some dogs that might not be enough. Uh, Sometimes I, um, and you know, certainly there are dog daycares, there are dog hiking services. <laughs> I actually send my dog hiking once a week with some other dogs. Um, at School for the Dogs, we have a drop-off program where people can drop off their dogs for training for a period of up to five hours. Um, but you know, the, the thing that I've been suggesting more than anything else is that people take a sort of broader than normal view of dog ownership. Sure, you have your dog that you are responsible for feeding, uh, sheltering, giving that dog care, but that doesn't mean your dog can't have a broader family that's beyond the people that live in your home. So I like to tell my clients, talk to people in your building. See if there is maybe a senior who loves dogs but really can't handle having one, or a teenager who is you know, free after school, or someone else who's working from home who can um, 
either stay in your home or you can bring the dog to they, their home for part of the day. And that might be um, an arrangement where someone is paid, but it might not even be a paid arrangement because you might actually um, be give, doing that person a favor by letting them have some, like a real meaningful relationship with a dog. Um, you know, I, I, across the street from me, there's a huge, uh, a huge, apartment building and I'm always looking at it and thinking how many of behind those windows, how many uh, people are there who love dogs and are sitting in rooms by themselves and how many, <laughs> how many other windows are there where there are dogs behind those windows who are there alone and are unhappy about it and wouldn't it be nice if those people and those dogs could be spending time together. So I, I call it dog share and um, I think that that is sort of a a nice way to um, help each other and help our dogs at the same time. There are also services um, where people will offer dog daycares, usually, you know, just for a handful of dogs, even just one dog, I think is, is in some of these cases on dogvacay.com is one place, rover.com is another. Um, so I'm a fan, I'm a fan of that kind of thing too, or hiring a walker who is doing more than actually just walking the dog. It's actually spending time in your home with the dog, kind of like a babysitter. Um, but, you know, even if the dog is, even if you're just on the couch and the dog is next to you, you know, for some dogs, that's really all that they need. Well, I have a woman in my building and I would see her and sometimes she had a dog she was walking and then I didn't, wouldn't see the dog and I'd see her several times. And I finally said to her, where's the skipper key? Because it was a cute little black skipper key. Mm -hmm. And she said, um, Oh, it's a dog share. I don't have the dog all the time because I travel on business. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that that and I was like, oh, what a great idea. And, and so I think that that is absolutely something that's possible. You know, I have an older gentleman that lives in my building and he's always had a dog as long as I've lived there. And now he's, he's not so able. And I bet that if you had a dog that a puppy would not be good for him anymore but if you had a dog that needed to be watched for an hour i bet he'd be thrilled absolutely your dog come over for an hour absolutely um, and then you'd pick the dog up you know when you come home from work so i i agree i think there's lots of people out there that would be really interested in in having a dog yeah so if i'm going back to work in a month what should i start doing today so I think, uh, you know, I think it's really important, and, and this is true of so many training uh, issues, I think it's really important to think about what associations your dog is making. Dogs, uh, there's two ways that dogs learn, learning by association and learning by consequence. And usually when we think about dog training, uh, we first think about learning by consequence in that, like, if you sit, I will give you a treat, right? Or if you stop barking, I will say good dog. Uh, it's all like the if-thens, right? But I think even the more important thing to think about is learning by association, which is really learning that has to do with the way an animal feels, right? Uh, very famously, Pavlov uh, rang a bell and his dog salivated. He was teaching his dogs to feel 
hungry. And nobody ever talks about what the dogs were doing between when they heard the bell and when they got the food, right? Were they barking? Were they peeing? Were they jumping? We don't know. Because that had nothing to do with their behavior. It had everything to do with the way they were feeling. So I like to sort of um, suggest people just start thinking about how their dogs are learning in that way. Because they're learning in that way whether or not you're paying attention to it. Um, a simple thing to think about is food. Now, most people feed their dogs a couple times a day in the kitchen, right, on the floor. What is your dog learning in those moments? Well, they're learning to associate food with being in the kitchen. That helps them feel, you know, like the kitchen's a good place to be. A bowl on the ground is a good thing. That's all, you know, fine, but we can get more out of that same bowl of food if we think about how we can use it to help your dog feel uh, good about things you actively want them to feel good about. For instance, you leaving um, or them being in a specific part of your home. Um, I don't think that a crate is absolutely mandatory when you're teaching your dog to be alone. Actually, in some cases, I think dogs can get extra stressed out when they're in a crate if they already have some kind of anxiety about confinement. But as a general rule, it can be a really good idea to, for example, feed your dog some meals in a crate so that your dog feels good about being in that spot. Or if you're not going to use a crate, think about where you're going to leave your dog when you are alone, which room that's going to be in, and feed your dog in that room to help build good associations with that room. Um, I'm also a fan of leaving a dog with um, food toys or AKA puzzle toys, which are dogs that, I'm sorry, which are toys that are designed to engage a dog's mind and, and tongue and body uh, when eating. It's a way to help um, get out some of their energy, raise their serotonin levels, um, make mealtime last a bit, little bit longer. Um, so as you're thinking about, you know, how can I use food to uh, get where I want to go? One way is to create the associations. One way is to have it eat up a little bit more time. Now, I, I, I should say that the focus of all the things I'm talking about really just want to drive this home. It's about preventing separation anxiety. If you have a dog who is already going into a full blown panic attack, then we have a problem where actually uh, talking to your vet or a professional dog trainer, I think it should be your very first step. But everything I'm suggesting is to try and prevent a dog from experiencing full-blown separation anxiety. Just, you know, giving food to your dog uh, in a certain room probably isn't going to help if your dog already is, you know, like screaming bloody murder when they see you go to the door. When you think about where you're going to be leaving your dog uh, when you leave, I think it's a good idea to um, pick a place where they can't necessarily see the door or hear the door because dogs can become very fixated on the door. And I also think it's a good idea when you're experimenting with using the crate that you work at keeping the crate in different places uh, in your home or even sometimes having more than one crate. Um, especially, you know, if you have a big dog with a big crate, so you're not having to lug crates from room to room, you can get crates pretty inexpensively. Um, ha you won't necessarily need to have two or three crates forever, but just while you're starting out teaching them to be happy in the crate, the reason is I want your dog to feel like 
um, the crate is a place where they can still be involved with things that are going on. So they're in the crate and you're walking from this room to that room. You're going into the bathroom and coming out of the bathroom. There are lots of sort of natural um, arrivals and absences in your home that your dog will witness when they're just in a crate uh, that is in kind of an active area, if, if that makes sense. Um, then once you sort of, oh, go ahead. So a lot of dogs, I think, start to get anxious when the family member, you know, their family member picks up their keys and puts mm -hmm. on their coat. And so I've got a client right now who's having some trouble with their dog and they've started putting their coat on multiple times a day and absolutely leaving yeah. <laughs> picking up their keys and then putting them down mm -hmm. so that the dog doesn't get that association of bad with picking up keys. And so picking up keys kind of has now become an everyday thing in that household and all the time thing to try and get the dog not to think that every time keys are picked up, it's going to be something bad. Absolutely. Um, so, but I'd like to see them wearing their coat in August when it's nice <laughs> outside. But, but I think it's, that's another example of, of trying to get something positive with the keys and the coat, which are a typical or pick up your pocketbook are typical for walking out the door. Right. That is definitely something that we suggest a lot. I mean, you can see in, in the, in the other direction, you know, I, my dog used to get really excited when he saw me put on my socks, right? <laughs> because socks meant I was going to put on shoes. Shoes meant I was probably going to go out. I was probably going to take him with him. So like the socks became, you know, that became the, the Pavlovian bell. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and I bet for different dogs, it's probably different things that, absolutely, that yeah. gets them excited. But if you can watch them and recognize that, then you know what what things to do or not to do. So what we, we often suggest is, you know, next time you're going out, notice all the things that you're doing before you leave. Um, so for me, that's, you know, sometimes I put on makeup, uh, I pick up my tote bag, I put on, put on my shoes, I find my keys, I go, I turn off the light, I go to the door. So the next step would be to write each of those things um, on cards and mix up those cards. And every day, our, our rule of thumb is five times a day. Um, I like to pick up. I like to pick up two of those cards five times a day and do those things in some weird order. So you know, I'll pick up my tote bag and then turn off the lights and then go sit and drink a cup of coffee on my couch. Um, or another way to do it is to randomly um, make make notes on your like Google Calendar uh, for each of those things. And then that will then shoot you a reminder five times a day. Oh, go pick up your go pick up your keys. You know, it, it's worth mentioning. I, I was talking about the associations that we can use um, that we can use to help our dogs feel better about being alone. Um, I, I often will suggest that people give their dogs, um, you know, even just maybe throw treats on the floor or feed their dogs a meal when they're leaving because you kind of want your dog to be like oh, the human's leaving. Now I'm going to get my good stuff. Get out of here, human, right? But on the other hand, it can become uh, something that your dog associates with you leaving. So if you have a dog who does seem to be extra distressed about you leaving, I wouldn't necessarily do that all the time, maybe some of the time, um, but I would make sure that food does not, uh, does not become um, a very predictable precursor 
to an absence. Another thing is to leave for very short periods. Like I talked about before, you wanna sort of figure out whatever your dog's baseline is. Your dog's baseline might be 10 seconds. <clears throat> your dog's baseline might be an hour. I can't tell you what it's going to be. But uh, I think it, it can be helpful if you're not sure, just to start with very, very short absences, like just going into your hallway, right? That, that could be far enough. Um, counting to 15 and coming back in. And even if you have a dog who can be alone for longer, you can still do that some of the time, just so uh, just to kind of mix it up and to set the dog up for success and to drive home the point for your dog that this doesn't, um, no, this isn't something that uh, that always means they're going to be gone for a really long time. You know, there's actually a tool that I really like to use too called the treat and train, which is like a remote controlled treat dispenser. And I think that um, that it works at a distance of like 30 or 40 feet. And I, I think that can be a, a nice way to actually work your dog when you are, for instance, in the hallway, you hear your dog not barking. And that can also be a nice way to create a new association for your dog. Oh, when the person leaves, I then get this dispensed treat that comes out of this thing. And what about what about the treat thing? There's one that has like a video camera attached to it. So you can talk to your dog and then you can also dispense a treat. And so I I don't know if I like that or not. What do you what's your professional opinion? You know, I haven't experimented too, with too many of those partially. Uh, and when I have, I have found them to not be super reliable and to be a little bit overcomplicated. I find the treat and train is kind of a simplified <laughs> device. And um, I don't really know if our if our dogs feel weird about us talk, hearing our voices when we're not around. I think actually one thing that's nice about the treat and train is your dog can be like, oh, I, I don't need to count on the humans to feed me. There is this machine to feed me when they're not around. So, <laughs> so I'm going to be taken care of. It's like the Rosie, the robot of the Jetsons, right? Like the, the uh, yeah, robot, yeah, yeah, yeah. the robot babysitter. Um, but you know, there has been some evidence that, uh, very simplified piano music can help dogs feel, um, calmer when you're gone. So that is something that some people will use. Um, I know there's a, there's a CD on Amazon that I've used for years called through a dog's ear. And it's supposed to have like the, the kinds of like beats per minute that are shown to make dogs feel more relaxed. Yeah. The other thing about, I think it's through the dog's ear is that they have changed the pitches and the keys mm -hmm. of classical music pieces right. to make them um, appropriate for the dog's acoustical range. And um, so I've seen also research where they put them in noisy shelters and when they play the music, the dogs are happier. And they've got varieties actually for other animals as well. I, the one that sticks in my mind is horses. Um, it seems to improve their behavior. Yeah, um, it was developed by a woman named Lisa Spector and she also has something called My Zen Pet, which I think is the similar thing. Yeah, and she's a... Um, I, is, is she the I, Juilliard pianist? Yeah, yes, exactly. And it was developed in tandem with a vet. And uh, if I have time, I also wanted to mention there's something called DAP, Dog Appeasing Pheromone, which perhaps you're familiar with, um, yes. which is like a wall plug-in, a collar, a spray. And sometimes that can help too. Again, if you have a dog who has full-blown separation anxiety, it probably would not be my first suggestion. But that is something that we have clients use to help their dogs just sort of be a little bit calmer um, when absences are going to occur.
So we have to close now, but what I do want to say about the DAP, which I think is a really good product, is do not spray it on your dog. No, do because not spray it on Because some dogs get really sleepy, and then it's on the dog, and you can't get it off. So <laughs> use a bandana, use the collar, use the plug-in, but do not use it like perfume <laughs> on your dog. Correct. So I want to say thanks to mm-hmm. Annie so much from uh, the School for the Dogs, <laughs> and um, be sure to check for her podcast, which is on any podcast platform it is yep it's called school for the dogs podcast okay thank you so much and uh when we come back we'll have the animal news we're back with dr ann hohenhaus on ask the vet call now with your pet questions on sirius xm stars welcome back to ask the vet on sirius xm stars channel 109 Uh, And now it's time to take a look at some of the animal news this month. It's time for Animal Headlines, the biggest animal news from across the world. First, at the Beauval Zoo in central France, a giant panda named Juanman gave birth to two female twin cubs. According to reports, they were very lively and very pink. And panda babies are pink because they don't have any fur yet. So they're not black and white when they're born. They're also very plump. These ones are good eaters. The mama and the father, who is Wanji, are on a 10-year loan from uh, China. And the cubs will not be named before their 100th day of age. And they are the second and third cubs born in France. Uh, the, The panda parents have a cub born in 2017 named Wan Ming. So these cubs will spend several years in France and then will go back to China. Of course, everyone knows that the pandas are endangered. And right now there are under 2,000 pandas living in the wild in China and about 5,000 pandas in captivity worldwide. If you'd like to see these panda babies or watch the panda cam, just Google twin panda cubs born in France and you can log on to their cam. Now, this as a veterinarian is really exciting news. The 125-year-old Denver Zoo just opened a new $24 million, 22,000 square foot Helen and Arthur E. Johnson veterinary hospital for the zoo animals. The zoo's veterinary team is finding out what it's like to be an animal on display because four feet above the veterinary hospital, visitors to the zoo can watch as the veterinarians take care of the animal residents of the zoo. So it's like live veterinary cam uh, at the Denver Zoo. The setup makes the Denver Zoo just one of a handful in the country that actually let visitors watch the medical staff take care of the residents. And at the Denver Zoo, those residents range from a tiny tree frog to a 900-pound zebra to a full-grown grizzly bear. What a challenge that must be. And so you can imagine why they need to have a really specialized facility to take care of those animals. Finally, to celebrate National Dog Month, which is the month of August, New York Post recently featured a list of wonderful dog movies. So why not kick back and cuddle up with your pooch and stream one or all of these entertaining movies? Hotel for Dogs, Best in Show, which is one of my favorites, Benji, Dog's Purpose, Beethoven, and Babe. You know, there's a lot of bees in there. 
Benji, Best in Show, Beethoven, Babe. What what does that mean? Uh, I I would have thought they would be D's. Just Google the New York Post and dog movies for the entire list. And not to leave the cat lovers out, uh, I wrote a recent blog recommending the best cat books for all ages, kids, tweens, books to keep your cat healthy, classic cat books, and more. And you can download that list of books to read at the beach the last two weeks of August by going to www.amcny.org and put blog in the search bar. Don't forget, you can call us toll-free and leave a message to have your pet's health questions answered on next month's Ask the Vet. The phone number to leave a message is 866-993-8267, and I'm going to take some of those calls next. So our first caller today is calling about fleas. Hi, I'm going to be moving to a humid climate in Texas. And currently my dogs do not have fleas and never have taken any flea prevention. I'm curious as to what is a safe type of flea prevention once we do move. Thank you. So this caller is good to ask before she travels what flea medication her pet needs, because really she should have that flea medication on or in the dog before she gets to Texas. She doesn't want to wait till she gets to Texas because once you get fleas on your dog, then you have fleas in your house and it's a disaster. So there are so many terrific and safe medications to protect dogs against fleas and ticks these days. It, it's the best. When I first started as a veterinarian, the medications were crummy and they smelled bad and they seemed toxic and they didn't work all that well. Now we've got three basic types of flea and tick medications. Things we call top spots, which means it's a little tube of liquid that you pour on the top of your dog and it gets absorbed into the skin. And then when your dog gets a flea bite on the tail, the medicine has circulated through the whole body and kills the flea. The second type of medication would be monthly pills, or sometimes they're even less than once a month. And the pills the dog takes, and then the medication spreads throughout the body. And when a flea or tick bites your dog, it kills the flea or tick. And then finally, there are collars that will actually repel in addition to killing fleas and ticks. So um, she needs to see her veterinarian and figure out which of these is best for where she's going in Texas, the types of fleas and ticks they have in Texas, and then she needs that on her dogs, on or in her dogs before she heads for Texas. A couple of warnings. Flea and tick medications are species specific. So use dog medication on dogs and cat flea and tick medication for cats. Do not swap species or somebody's gonna get really sick. The other thing is don't try and creatively dose your pet. So say you've got a really big dog and a really small dog. Don't just decide you're going to eyeball half the big dog's tube on the small dog or you run the risk of overdosing that small dog. So be sure each pet has their own size-specific flea and tick medication and that your dogs have their own that is not for cats and vice versa. Good luck on your move to Texas, and I hope it stays flea-free. Our next caller has a question about cancer in her dog. If one of the dogs, an elderly dog, 
gets a hemangioma sarcoma diagnosis after surgery for two tumors on the liver and the spleen. Would it be better not to treat with uh, doxorubicin? Rather, just let, in other words, uh, how, how much success would it be to continue to treat the dog or rather let the dog just pass on his own? Uh, my dog lasted about four and a half months. Um, that was a question of whether or not after surgery, surgery, how much chemo and targeted therapy should you provide? So the caller is, is calling about a cancer that is unfortunately all too common in dogs called hemangiosarcoma. And it's a weird tumor because people don't really get hemangiosarcoma. It's kind of a dog and cat problem. Hemangiosarcoma is a tumor of blood vessels. And in this case, it sounds like the poor dog has it not only in its spleen, which is really the number one location for this tumor, but it sounds like the tumor already spread to the liver. And that's bad. Um, surgery is really important because these blood vessel tumors bleed uh, and can bleed significantly so the dog collapses. So the dog needs emergency surgery to stop the bleeding. But usually the cancer has already spread by the time we find it. And the chemotherapy drug that the caller asked about, doxorubicin, is a drug we've been using for decades in both human and veterinary oncology. And it does prolong survival in dogs with hemangiosarcoma, but it, it never is enough time when your dog has cancer that this drug can prolong how long they live. So nearly 100% of dogs ultimately succumb to this tumor, even if they get surgery and chemotherapy. And most dogs die of it uh, in much less than a year. So for some people, chemotherapy is worth it because they want every minute they can have with their dog. And for other people, the the emotional and financial burden of chemotherapy is more than they think their dog should undergo and they choose not to treat it. So there's no hard and fast recommendation. Um, and I'm sorry that this lady's dog has this disease because it's a terrible one and it, it's not very fun for either the dog, the owner or the veterinarian. And now we have a call from Justin in Connecticut. Hi, this is a message for Dr. Ann, and this is Justin calling from Connecticut, and I'm actually one of the co-hosts on another SiriusXM show. But we do have a, a dog, a Frenchie named Lulu, who was by accident, uh, after a routine blood test, diagnosed with polycythemia vera, I believe it's called, too many red blood count uh, cells. Uh, basically, she it had a phlebotomy. Her blood count went down up. It was 71. It went down to 45. Then two weeks later, it's up to 68. She's on some uh, medication to move the red blood cells around quicker. She's got absolutely no symptoms about anything. They want to do another phlebotomy, and I just think that that seems to be a very aggressive and more dangerous um, thing than perhaps the ailment that she supposedly has. So I'm wondering if there's an alternative, even holistically, to moving, you know, lessening the red blood cells. Thanks so much. 
So Justin's dog, Lulu, um, has too many red blood cells. And in people, there is a very specific disease called polycythemia vera that is diagnosed based on a particular mutation found in those people's DNA. Um, and therefore, because it's a very specific diagnosis, I would argue that the actual diagnosis that Justin's dog probably has, we call in veterinary medicine, primary polycythemia, because the mutation is not well characterized in the dog. The too many red blood cells can have a lot of different causes. And I'm going to make an assumption that Lulu's had a lot of testing and that the diagnosis of primary polycythemia has been confirmed by excluding other causes of too many red blood cells like kidney problems and tumors and um, lungs that are having a problem like pneumonia. Um, phlebotomy sounds a little medieval. I, I, I understand where Justin's coming from because, you know, it sounds like something bloodletting. Uh, we should be able to do better these days. But actually, um, if a dog can um, have blood removed about once a month or less and keep that count in a reasonable range, it's a good choice. Um, it, and it is easier um, in some dogs than other dogs. Some dogs are easier to get blood out of. Uh, the disease has traditionally been treated with a chemotherapy drug uh, given orally to suppress the production of red blood cells, and that works pretty well. And then if you really are want to do something natural, um, leaching is you can buy medical leeches and put those on a dog and keep the blood count down. I, I don't know. I never was that fond of leeches to tell you the truth. So I'm kind of a chemotherapy giving girl. Um, but there are more options for Lulu than phlebotomy. And so um, I hope this is helpful to you, Justin. Uh, and it, I'm glad Lulu's not having problems because sometimes if the red blood cell count gets too high, dogs start to have seizures and that's, that's really not good for the dog at all. So good luck with Lulu, Justin. And our last caller today is Mary. Hi, my name is Mary. This is a message for Dr. Ann Hohenhouse. Dr. Hohenhouse, I was so happy to see your blog about excessive licking in pets because I've noticed that in my dog and my vet had no idea what it could be but it's a change in her behavior and I'm you know I'm concerned and I would be interested in your uh, thoughts about where to go with this um, at first I noticed she seemed to be licking her lips a lot excessively uh, I noticed that less now and what I notice is I have a cushion and that she lays on, and that she licks the cushion. I mean, I, I like really have no idea why she would want to lick a cushion, but she licks the cushion for quite a while till I noticed there's a big wet spot on the cushion. So I am curious about, you know, what you think about that or and what you think my next step should be because, of course, I'm a loving pet owner and, you know, want to make sure there is no uh, issue or problem. Thanks very much. So licking can be associated with medical disorders or anxiety disorders, or could just be a bad habit. And so the first place to start is your veterinarian's office for a good physical exam, some blood tests, because anemic dogs will sometimes lick things that are weird, meaning non-food items. Uh, 
Licking is also associated with um, acid reflux. And so um, this dog might need antacids or maybe an endoscopy to identify what's causing the reflux. So I think the place to start, Mary, is a trip to your veterinarian. And I hope that your dog uh, recovers from this kind of annoying disorder because that soggy wet cushion is probably gross. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we'll have news from the Animal Medical Center. We're back with Dr. Ann Hohenhaus on Ask the Vet. Call now with your pet questions on Sirius XM Stars. Hi, welcome back to Ask the Vet here on Sirius XM Stars Channel 109. In case you want, just heard that se segment on pet questions, don't forget that you can call our toll-free number and leave a message to have your pet questions answered next month. That number is 866-993-993. 8267. The Animal Medical Center was founded in 1910 and served as a clinic to help animals whose owners could not afford medical care, including the horses of New York City. Today, across 20 specialties and services, AMC's veterinarians manage 60 56,000 patient visits. Simply stated, about 160 pets come through our doors each day. If you liked our guest from the School for the Dogs, Annie Grossman, she is going to be the featured speaker at the next Used and Institute virtual event, Home Alone, helping dogs adjust as we return to the office. I hope you'll be able to join us on Wednesday, August 18th at 6 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. All Used and events are currently online. Registration is required but the event is free and open to anyone because Zoom can have as many people on it as you want. If you'd like to register for Home Alone, helping dogs adjust as we return to the office, you only need to go to www.amcny.org and put events in the search bar. All stand events are also posted online after the event has happened. So if you can't attend one of our events live, then you can watch the video of that event, uh, which is kept on our website. Medical Mythbusters was last month's event, and we talked about dog myths, arthritis in pets, pet travel safety, and our new book club, uh, a conversation with Martha Teichner, who wrote the best New York Times bestseller, When Harry Met Minnie, a True Story of Love and Friendship are all archived on AMC's uh, website. And you simply need to put events in and click on the previous events page. Our upcoming event, of course, is Home Alone, uh, to helping our dogs adjust to the office. Don't forget, next month, you can call and leave us a message to have your pet questions answered. Our number is 866-993-827. I'd really like to thank my special guest, Annie Grossman, for the School for the Dogs. Thanks to all the listeners and callers for asking such great questions and tuning in today's Ask the Vet program. A special thanks to everyone who's downloaded the Ask the Vet podcast. And that podcast can be downloaded from AMC's website or it can be downloaded from any podcast platform. We hope you'll check us out on social media. Facebook.com is the Animal Medical Center. 
Twitter and Instagram at AMCNY. And I'll be back next month for Ask the Vet here on Sirius XM Stars Channel 109. Have a great week, everybody.